Today's show is sponsored by Mack Weldon. They make the most comfortable hoodies, sweatpants, underwear, and socks you'll ever wear. I'm wearing the socks right now. Normally, I ask my guests to verify that I am wearing socks. Usually, it's one guest today. There's two. Oliver, Charlie, am I wearing socks? Yes. Yep. Affirmative. Do they look super comfortable? Potentially. I feel super comfortable. How do they smell? No smells. You can't You can't verify it. But they are made of naturally antimicrobial fiber that eliminates odor, so that is why I smell so awesome right now. They're easy to buy. You go to MacWeldon.com. You get 20% off your order with the promo code RECODE. That's MacWeldon.com, promo code RECODE. Charlie, Oliver, what happens if you don't like these socks? I bet you can send them back. No, no, no. You hang on to them. Oh. Mac Weldon will send you your money back. Wow. I don't know how it works, but it works because I keep doing it. Go to MacWeldon.com, use the promo code RECODE. You'll be glad you did. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. I'm part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Here today I have two guests, Charlie Warzel from BuzzFeed, Oliver Darcy from CNN. Why do I have two of you guys here today, guys? It's a good okay. question. Um, I both tra- cover the pro-Trump media. Pro-Trump, is that the, right. I was trying to find a slick way of describing what you guys do. Pro-Trump media, you cover the pro-Trump media, right? Yeah. That's the best way of putting it? Sometimes I just say the fever swamp and let people associate how they want with that. Okay, but... we'll, we'll formally introduce you so people can track which voice is which. So, sure. Charlie, say hello. Hey, I'm Charlie. From? From BuzzFeed. And this is Oliver from CNN. Okay, you guys sound slightly different, right? So people can track it. A little bit. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll occasionally prompt you by name, too. You guys both cover the pro-Trump media, and you both sort of specialize, I think, specifically in, in the internet version of it, right? Right. Not exclusively. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, personally, I sort of came from being a, a tech reporter and covering a lot of, like, the, the big platforms and the cultural changes of the internet. And, you know, the pro-Trump movement kind of grew out of a lot of those platforms and and is sort of, you know, weaponized by them. So that's kind of how how I got into it. So the internet version to me is sort of more of my fluency and I think it's sort right. of I I think it's more interesting than, you know, the so legacy. So you guys are covering people like Infowars, Alex Jones, Yes. Wade right. Pundit. And it's important uh, to you. You came out of that world, right? You were, you were at the Blaze. I worked at the Blaze for yes, a few Which years. Is, that's uh, digital Although, and, and to the right. I, I well, let's let's be clear. The Blaze is no no Infowars <laughs> or, or Breitbart. Um, yeah. It's more of a conventional, and it was more of a conventional uh, right leaning website. But real quick, I want to make a point. You said that we cover the internet, and I think I cover you know particularly at the whole thing as a whole. And, and Hannity is important, and Mark Levin and Rush Limbaugh. But what's important about the internet is that that's seems to be where a lot of these guys get their talking points and where the narratives emerge first. So if you pay attention to what's going on, for instance, on the Donald subreddit, you can maybe see that later, two, three days on Sean Hannity's Fox News primetime show. That's a section of Reddit devoted to people who like Donald Trump. Yes, it's a very, very active Reddit as well. Great. So you guys have guided me to a place I wanted to get to, which is is sketching out the difference between the internet version of pro-Trump media and traditional conservative media. Conservative radio has been around for a very, very long time. Fox News has been around for a couple decades. And I think until really the last couple of years of people were describing conservative media, the, the internet wouldn't have crossed their mind, at least for most people. And I think really until last year, people were sort of unaware that there was this big thriving conservative movement online and then specifically a pro-Trump movement online. Oliver, I just want to start where you left off there. You think that the internet is leading TV and radio. It's less of a symbiosis. It's these guys start and then it eventually bubbles up to other medium. Right. I think a lot of the narratives are maybe tested on um, – it's like trial balloons and it's, it's tested to see how it works with the base. And, and if things start really taking hold, that's when you see it sort of bubble up. 
um, to the surface, and then you get it. Um, you know, you, you'll maybe see it on uh, a radio show, and then it'll um, eventually. I think you know, take some time, but get to prime time on Fox News. That said. Sometimes Sean Hannity will say something that ends up going reverse, and then you have Dan Scavino tweet it, and then the president sees it. So it, so it, moves, it moves both ways. Because my conception of, of sort of how conservative media worked for a long time was the party, the White House, whoever's leading the sort of head of the conservative political movement has an idea, and it is disseminated literally through talking points, through conservative radio, through Fox. Um, I get the sense reading what you guys – do, and you guys are great, which is why I have you on here, is that a lot of this stuff is sort of bubbling up from the internet, and there may not be anyone really directing it very often. So the interesting part about this to me is I we at BuzzFeed, especially on this tech team where I, where I kind of came out from, we were always monitoring like the weird areas of the internet, and there... You, you guys know, spend a lot of time mining Reddit. I mean, you literally got stories out of Reddit for a very long time. That was sort of that the is bulk of that BuzzFeed. is like the old uh, the old the old, the old nugget of, yeah. of BuzzFeed is yeah. Um, but you know, we would always like just monitoring lots of these different platforms and seeing you know how they're being shaped. And and you know, one of them was like was 4chan, which is this you know, sort of no rules message board that has everything, including like uh, an active political segment, which is mostly just you know a lot of like racist xenophobic, you know, anti-Semitic stuff. But this message board and a lot of these other sort of message board type communities on the internet really sort of adopted in like late 2015 around the time when, you know, Trump came down the escalator at Trump Tower. They really just like, it was some something amazing to watch them just like co-opt this guy. Like he, they just, you know, he started becoming the main like meme out of, out of, places like 4chan and a lot of these places on Reddit. And so the, the far right, and then we can discuss yeah. labels, but, but for now, broadly, the far right version of the internet embraced Donald Trump early on Yeah, when, I mean, when he announced. But, but prior to that, they weren't really interested in him, right? Exactly. But I think, you know, they weren't necessarily, like 4chan wasn't like a far right space. Like 4chan was just like a, this chaotic sort of, anti-establishment, but also Jokestery just like really politically lulls, incorrect. Right? Yeah. yeah, really it, politically incorrect. Deeply politically incorrect. And that was sort of, you know, it was sort of just like, you know, anti-authority in, in any kind of way and 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 like like causing chaos and, and trolling. And they embraced him. And so what's interesting is like this community sort of found Donald Trump and Trump changed how that like those groups are now way more politically active and engaged than they used to be they used to sort of just be these like you know awful spaces with you know young kids pranking people and do you, do you think a, he politicized them or do you think the people who were interested in donald trump and the internet went there and people who weren't left there and that sort of sorted itself out it, you know it's, it's always hard to know but i i think in the same way that so many people, just normal people in the world, are paying more attention to politics now because Trump is such an interesting character, I think, you know, the same thing happened there. This presidency has politicized and the and the campaign has politicized everything. Yeah, that's we do politics on this space. podcast every week. Right. <laughs> right. And, and like as Breitbart said, I think Andrew Breitbart when he was alive, um, politics is downstream from culture. 
And I think that the culture of 4chan and some of these other places on the internet maybe gave way to some of the politics that we see today. So that sort of jokey, cynical slash LOL, nothing matters, right. that sort of philosophy. I think the underlying – well, one of the underlying philosophies is that the being anonymous on the internet gave some of these people the the freedom, they thought, to say whatever – they really thought about a topic yeah. versus like having a name attached to it, having your face attached to it. So on 4chan, you see these incredibly politically incorrect discussions going on. And I think they really latched on to Trump because he would go out in public and he would say something incredibly politically incorrect. And they were entertained by that. I think they were entertained by it, but they also saw it like this guy's the real life version almost of someone from 4chan. And he's saying it on camera with his, with his name. Yeah, and, and he's doing it on debate stages, and he's doing it to news anchors, and, and he doesn't seem to care. Like like they don't seem to care. The only difference is, of course, this is you know real real life versus uh, on the internet. It is real um, life. First of all, I want to sketch out the just that universe of, of online pro Trump media. I think of Infowars. I think Breitbart is sort of the loudest to me, most influential voice. Who else? Oliver's. Charlie favorite. knows what I'm going to say. The, the Drudge Report. Yeah. Matt Drudge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I'm, I'm thinking of him as older, but okay. That's sure. fine. Yeah. He's, he's online. He, um, to me, he's sort of like the, the nucleus of this whole, this whole system. Right. And he also, though, differs, right, from, a, I think, a lot of the rest of pro-Trump media. Like, he'll take a different tack. But and let's one, just sketch and one of the things, look, too, just want. to be clear here, is we talk about this, is that pro-Trump media, while they uniformly do support Trump – they often have competing interests as, as the people of the factions in the White House have competing interests. So it gets a little tricky when we are talking about them because like, yeah, Drudge and, and Breitbart both support Trump. They also support different wings in the White House. Right, so Drudge right coverage. now seems to be in the anti-Bannon camp. Yes, he's in the pro-Kushner, pro-Ivanka Trump camp and, and Breitbart's obviously on the pro-Steve Bannon camp. Right. Um, let's, let's keep going. Let's sketch out sort of the rest of the universe, people who aren't. And again, one of the reasons I have you guys here is that you guys spend all your time looking at this stuff, um, writing about it, and maybe it's that I'm lazy, maybe it's that I'm, I have a limited tolerance for it, but I, I appreciate the fact that you're doing this because I don't want to. In fact, Charlie does a weekly newsletter, right? Semi-weekly uh, yeah. newsletter? In, in the summer, it's Warzel. a little less. Yes, it's InfoWarzel, which is... Uh, where, where I just sort of think of you just sort of like going through the muck and like summarizing it for me in that way. My hands are less dirty. Yeah, a lot of times it's like, it's a great way to, so much happens in this in this world on, on a daily basis. I know, like, I mean... Oliver and I talk a lot, like, <laughs> back channel just about, like, the the taxing nature of trying to keep up with it because, I mean, part of the tactic that these that yeah. all these people use is the second they get backed into a corner or, you know, the fire that they have ignited somewhere is getting put out by rational logic or common sense, they light another one sure. and run away and say, hey, look, there's a huge look, fire. Look at that dumpster fire. Exactly. L- let's keep sketching out the, the universe. So there's the granddaddy, which is Matt Drudge, still around. Infowars, Gateway Pundit, who else do we need to pay – do you guys pay attention to? Um, I mean then there's sort of like this universe of non-publications. Mm-hmm. So you have like Mike Cernovich who is, you know, sort of a – he's one of the narrative setters, you know, like sort of like the hashtag generator. This is someone who lives pretty much entirely on Twitter. Right? Yeah, there's no publication. No, yes, it has a has a medium blog is is sponsored by like uh, Patreon and and all sorts of you know crowdfunding kind of things. Um, he's you know a former, I mean I guess men's rights self help blogger kind and of. And before that, a legal blogger. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it's, it's really sort of fascinating uh, where a lot of these people come from. Um, you have, but you again, you find him primarily on Twitter. Right? You find that's, him primarily on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, probably like 120 out. tweets. A and day. there are a bunch of people like him now, right? Yeah, like you have um, Jack Posobiec, who's a was in the military, though his record is under dispute at the moment, um, and. Uh, he was like a Game of Thrones blogger like a year and a half ago and just like he's been a longtime fan of Trump and came came out through that. Uh, he's sort of with um, – he's sort of the protege of Roger Stone who's another person in this university, you know, longtime lobbyist. And trickster. Dirty trickster. Great Netflix documentary on him. Um, you know, these people – there's a lot of these individual actors, essentially. How who, many how many folks are you guys sort of keeping track of on a daily basis? That's difficult to say. I think. What's your universe? Like, is it a core dozen publications and people? Is it a hundred? The thing about this group is, and it's a point I wanted to make is that it's not as organized as people think it is, and yet everyone sort of knows their role. So when something happens, it's actually very easy to sort of keep tabs on it because. Everyone's monitoring everyone else and amplifying everyone else all the time. So you see all the things you need to see. I have like a, a, a Twitter list with probably like 40 people and like, you know, Breitbart and like, you know, some publications, things like that. And the narrative's just like, I mean, other than what it does to you mentally keeping up with it, it's actually incredibly easy to see. Because it's repetitive what's going on. and everyone literally retweets each other. And right. so, that, and it sort of coalesces. This is sort of the thing I keep coming back to. Like it seems like a lot of this stuff happens organically rather than someone saying this is the message, follow this message, that it sort of bubbles up because someone tried something and it picks up and then people go from there. A lot of it does happen too on on Reddit and the Donald subreddit and then also on places like 4chan. So that's a large part of the universe and we – maybe most people don't pay attention to it. But I think that's where a lot of these more – you know, established personalities uh, um, get their ideas from and get their memes from. And uh, there's even some, you know, speculation that Dan Scavino at the White House, who manages Donald Trump's social media, is looking at the Donald subreddit and finding memes and stuff and posting it to the president's account. Right. So because the, so, the president sends some of his own tweets right. or, or has someone send them or we're still not sure whether he's actually doing the typing. But clearly, like when he's posting a meme or a photograph. I, mean, I don't think he knows how to do that, right? And he's certainly like scouring sure. Reddit, right? So that's coming from from there. So along those lines, beyond the fact that this stuff, you guys argue, bubbles up to Hannity, bubbles up to, to mm-hmm. radio, do you, have you tried to sort of quantify the audience that these guys have and how that compares to traditional conservative media, to Fox News? This is my, like, this is sort of the the existential like question for me of covering all this is like what am i looking at in terms of scale like i it's so hard to know you know you have like i've done a lot of reporting around alex jones and infowars and you have like the quantcast stats and things like that which are you know who knows cuz his That's platform how many people are visiting his the website site. yeah but then you have you know his youtube page just has about 2 million subscribers you have all the, you know, the offshoot kind of like garbage sites that repost his YouTube videos. You have the Periscope things. You have Facebook and Facebook Live. You have his Twitter account. You have the radio show on Terrestrial Radio, which has a whole bunch of like stations and then the pirate stations. And so it's like impossible to know. 
yet he makes a ton of money off of these supplements. So, you know, ostensibly his audience is big. He, so, he sells diet pills. He sells diet pills all kind of like vitamins and minerals and who B12. Did, who did the great piece where they actually went and looked at the actual products he's selling? Uh, BuzzFeed, me. <laughs> yeah, Charlie did that. Um, no, no, but there was another one that explained the business. New York Magazine. Business. New York Magazine. Magazine, Magazine right on, on the, here's, how his, here has, yes. here's how he actually makes his money. Yes. It's not through advertising. It's selling the stuff. And you went and actually looked at the stuff. Yeah, yeah. We, we went, took all the products to a lab and you know found that they're actually safe for you. I, it's the same same stuff you would get at GNC, and a lot of it's the same stuff. At about going to the three cells. to five times markup. Well, sure, but it's got uh, special... Yeah, special Alex Jones power on it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Infowars is running a, a but, Buzzfeed sale. So by the this way. is one of—I mean, this is one of the questions I always ask, and I'm glad to hear that you, you're asking yourself, right? Like, how big is this audience? Right. And you were listing all those different outlets. Obviously, presumably, a lot of those people are visiting him on YouTube and on Facebook and on the radio. So that you, you can't you can't add up that total audience. Right. When you talk to somebody like like this guy Mike Cernovich, you know, and you kind of try to like get a sense you know those people will say well look at donald trump's you know approval rating right now you know if it's you know say whatever 30 percent or something like that 30 percent of voting americans are my audience too Mm -hmm. you know like they will say that and like you know you could make like you can't dismiss it go to a go to a trump rally and see all the infowars shirts there's a lot of them but it's impossible to know for me and i struggle with that every day covering it when i'm looking at these guys it's like Charlie says, impossible to really know the size of the audience. Um, I look at, and we're, if we're talking about the internet sort of personalities, I'm looking at how much influence they have. So, yeah, Mike Cernovich has a few hundred thousand followers on Twitter, but if he sets a narrative that ends up in the microphone of Rush Limbaugh, then, you know, he's reaching a lot of people. He's reaching, uh, I don't know how many stations, 500 plus radio stations across the country. Um, millions of, of listeners. And if it's on, you know, Hannity's primetime Fox News show or, or ends up on Tucker Carlson tonight, then he's reaching, you know, a, a much larger audience than just than just his Twitter account. Do you guys ever think about whether or not you're overestimating the influence and or building up these guys more than they would uh, – giving them a broader audience than they would normally have? You both work at very big platforms. CNN and BuzzFeed reach a lot of people that by telling people this is what Mike Cernovich thinks – that you're actually sort of helping him out and building him up. So I think probably th- when this argument sort of reared its head the most was when Alex Jones and Megyn Kelly did their primetime interview on NBC back in, uh, I think, Seems like years May ago. May or June. Yes, yeah, so, last some, spring. some time ago. Um, and everyone was was outraged by the fact that she would give this conspiracy theorist, he, you know, um, speculated before the, the Sandy Hook, you know, yeah. uh, shooting the tragedy was a conspiracy. Anyway. The people were like, you can't give this guy a platform. He's, you know, he's awful. And, and, and I, I think about that a lot with my, my own work. But at the same time. Because you're in contact with him all the time. Sometimes. Many of these people, right? They're yes. talk, and I want to talk about that stuff later. But, but, but you're covering them day in, day out as if they are the same way that someone writes about CNN and BuzzFeed. Sure. And my argument for this is that, first of all, like, you know, completely ignoring voices that you don't like or dismissing them as, you know, garbage, mm-hmm. like, and and is not serious. Like, that doesn't well, let's stipulate tend that to work that, out that, That's not well. a good argument, right? But, but yeah. let's stipulate, but the, the argument isn't whether we find them odious, right? We can have mm-hmm. a discussion about that. It's, are we building, are you guys overestimating their influence and or increasing their influence by focusing on them instead of Fox News or instead of Rush Limbaugh? Sure, if we ignore them, 
which we, we could do, you know, that doesn't mean that Sean Hannity is going to ignore them. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that Matt Drudge will ignore these things. And, and this universe will go, you know, on pretty fine without us. Um, the only difference will be that no one will know what's going on and they won't see really how the sausage is made. I think that um, if you go, you know, journalism, for me at least, has always been that, that you know, you, you shine light on places and um, if, if there's something bad going on, um, then people take action. Uh, so I, I don't see why that would necessarily be too different here. I, I think, of course, you, you want to make sure that when you're covering these guys, you're being both fair to them but also critical. And, and, and like when I write about Mike Cernovich, I always point out Mike Cernovich, who peddles baseless conspiracy theories, you know, and, and who is far right and um, on the fringe of politics. But one, I think you have to give the audience credit that they when they see something that they think is on the fringe, that they'll recognize that's on the fringe and maybe should be you know taken with a grain of salt to say the least. And but you guys do – there's a line, right? Like up, in, up until this weekend, not a lot of folks were spending time writing about uh, Nazis, right? <laughs> Now we're suddenly engaged in a debate about Nazis. But we would have said, well, that's super fringe. We're not, we're not going to spend much time on that. I think, though, that but, – but it makes sense to cover – it makes – what we kind of cover more than anything else from what I – I mean, I, I want, don't want to tell you what you do, Oliver. But I feel like it's the process. It's the how does X get from, you know, mm-hmm. the Donald to, to wherever and how are they doing it? You know, what's the, the method of amplification? It's not so much that we're amplifying their message. It's more whatever it is that you're seeing. Like, why, why is everyone talking about this Seth Rich DNC conspiracy? Well, the reason we're talking about right. it, not really what it is as much as why we're talking about it, why it's a thing, why people are upset is because it happened this way. And here's the steps. And I think that that is really important because if more than anything else you want I want people to know that these people are really savvy in the same way that you know CNN's digital department can be savvy or BuzzFeed's like they understand how to use all these tools that are available to everyone and and really push them to their advantage and get people to pay attention to them and I think that that's important that people give them that credit so that they take them seriously and you know, either do whatever. They just need to have that information, I think. So speaking of process, one way this show works is people listen to this and then they listen to our fine advertisers and then they come back and listen to more of this. So we're going to hear from one of our fine advertisers right now. Today's show is brought to you by Away Travel. They ask thousands of people how they pack, why they travel, and what bugs them most about their luggage. And then they listened. And then they made an affordable, high-quality bag that solves those problems. Away Travel calls this thing a bag. I call it a suitcase. I've got one in my house, and I travel with it. It's pretty darn good. There's a TSA-approved combination lock built on the top of the bag to prevent theft. Again, they call it a bag. Suitcase. It's cool. It's modern-looking. Inside, there's a removable, washable laundry bag that keeps dirty clothes separate from the clean clothes. Very important. And then both of these carry-on bags slash suitcases can charge cell phones, tablets, e-readers, anything you can charge with the USB cord. This is the coolest part about it. You just plug your device into your suitcase. You're going to look cool. Even better, you're going to have a phone that works because it's got a battery charged. A single charge of the Away carry-on will charge your iPhone five times. And there's a lifetime warranty, so if anything breaks, they will fix or replace it. If you're still not sure, there is a 100-day trial period that is more than three months. Use it, fly with it, take it anywhere you want. If you decide it's not for you, they will take it back. They will give you a full refund, no questions asked. Because you listen to Recode Media, you can get $20 off your new suitcase today. See, there they call it a suitcase. Go to awaytravel.com slash media. Use the promo code media during checkout. 
There's free shipping on all orders to the lower 48 state. That means unless you live in Alaska, Hawaii, they will ship this suitcase to you for free. Go to awaytravel.com slash media and use the promo code media. We're back here with Charlie Warzel from BuzzFeed, Oliver Darcy from CNN. It's great, guys. I've been trying to put this together for a while, so thank you. Charlie's fresh in from Montana, so we're especially honored to have him here. I want to talk about how you do your work, um, but I still want to talk about sort of the right-wing pro-Trump media and how it works first. What is the relationship between Donald Trump and the pro-Trump digital media? Donald Trump is someone who famously doesn't participate in the digital world. Every profile you ever read about him says he does not use email, doesn't have a computer at his desk. We know he has a phone. We know he can hit a retweet button, I guess. But my impression is he's not reading any of the stuff that you guys are covering, at least in the native form. Is that right? Um, I think it's tricky. I mean, like this week he did retweet Jack Pozabiek. I can't pronounce his name. Um, and he, he retweeted him. So, Do you assume that that actually was Donald Trump retweeting it or someone retweeting on behalf of him? <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't – I couldn't tell you. I mean it could be someone else retweeting on his behalf. It could be him and He'll say I read this on the feed. internet. But he's not sitting with a browser going through. I mean I can tell you firsthand from a conversation with Jack that Jack doesn't know how it happened. So, I right. mean, it, yeah, it, this is like this is the big mystery is what is Donald Trump's actual media diet? Not other than the cable stuff. Like, are people printing out Infowars things for him? You know, that there, seems to be the case, right? Through reporting, people are giving him giving him printouts of stuff. There right. seems to be that. But it's also what are those printouts? You know, there was a story a long time ago that um, a copy of an article from Notorious troll Chuck Johnson's website, which is, you know, journalistically very dubious, um, called Got News, that a printout of an article from there showed up on his desk. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard a lot of stories like that about, like, you know, like, that Mike Cernovich's medium posts are showing up and things like that. But you, you don't know. And he seems to have some sort of sourcing inside the National Security Council, at least did. He was getting a lot of these, right, but these that's scoots. that's a different question, right? right. That's people who work who are for work for Trump right. and are in different corners of the Trump universe giving information to him. I'm thinking of just how the president views this. My impression is he spends all his time watching TV, mm-hmm. and when he's not watching TV, he's looking at the New York Times and a few other outlets, that, the New York Post, that he considers a big deal. My gut is that he could not pronounce Mike Cernovich's name or wouldn't know who he is or any of the other folks you're talking about. Do they care? that he may or may not be seeing any of this happening? I, I don't know. I, I think – you think he might pay it. You have to keep in mind that Trump is very um, good with media. He's been – you know, he's known the landscape and the media landscape for a long time. So if he's so good at navigating the tabloid media, I don't see why he wouldn't also have like at least a rough sketch in his mind of – you know who these players are on the internet. Um, he might not interact with them like he interacts with Sean Hannity, but right. I, I don't know. Something tells me that if you said Mike Cernovich's name, he might actually know who that is. Like this guy on the internet, you know, who really likes me. He met with Baked Alaska, who's a um, character that was actually at Charlottesville. He there's a there's a Baked Alaska is a person. It's a yeah, man. he's a person. He worked at BuzzFeed actually at one point in time. And uh, on the video side, yes, on the video <laughs> side of things, uh, social media. But he met with him, and during the RNC convention, there's a photo of him signing um, a tattoo on his arm. And I don't, you know, we don't know how much time they spent together. Uh, Baked Alaska probably plays it up a bit much, saying that they had a good chat. But there is, there has he been some met contact. with Kanye West, right? And he's not yeah. listening to Kanye West. He just knows that Kanye West is a famous person. 
Sure. Well, great friends, apparently. <laughs> I don't know. It's impossible to say. I think also one of the things about the pro-Trump media and the way this world works is it's while things – there tends to be you know bubbling up and it ends up on higher platforms, there's also the ability from, for it to go, like Charlie just said, from a really fringe website and just leap over everything to the president's desk. Right. Or, or from Dan Scabino who goes to the, directly to the Reddits and yeah. didn't see it maybe on yeah. Fox. I, I get the impression that there's two different sort of funnels here. One is sort of the memes bubble up and then maybe they get to Hannity and then they go up to him that way. So he thinks he's getting it from Hannity and Fox News. Another is that it goes up to his social media director and he never really sees that stuff. I mean every interaction I've ever heard about with Donald Trump and read about with Donald Trump, people I know who interact with him is him reading something they wrote in a magazine like Fortune or Forbes and then circling it with the the marker and sending it back or calling up people he knows from – because they represent big traditional media organizations and that's what he responds to. That's why he still talks to Maggie Haberman. All the time, even though he hates the New York Times, supposedly, because he really responds to the New York Times. It seems like he's – and I, I get that he's talked to Alex Jones at InfoWars. Right. Um, but it seems like for a lot of this stuff, it would be difficult for him to explain why any of these sites or Twitter feeds matter. Yes. I mean, it, we don't know. But the other thing that I think is important about this is I'm not so certain from talking to these people. Like, sure, they'd love it if, if Donald Trump, you know – they were the first site or Twitter feed that Donald Trump checked every day. But I also think that it's less it's less about that. Like the, one of the defining characteristics for me about the pro-Trump media is it's not actually all that concerned <laughs> with politics a lot of the time. Like it's not really concerned with like with policy. Like there's not a lot of policy debate. Like there's really no substantive debate. It's about narratives and it's about the media and it's about actually like it is about the different medium that all these messages go through and about setting agendas in terms of like conversations that that you have and it's more about playing with the media to get influence i think they they're less interested in whether donald trump is listening to their message and and amplifying it and more interested that they have tons of devoted fans and listeners that they that, have influence yeah that they're getting period. retweets it's about you know? <laughs> it's about trolling and doing things that break you know conventions and tradition and the way things are supposed to be run and they like blowing past those walls i think that's something they enjoy a lot do you think they're enjoying there's a lot of discussion about these guys want to destroy the media right and you again you like people like bannon and breitbart will express that explicitly you guys tease this out a lot in your reporting do you think that they really want to destroy the new york times or do they just want to have fame and if they get that through destroying the new york times or saying they're destroying the new york times that's one way to accomplish it i personally don't i don't know if they care like i just think that they would love to do it probably because that would be a, a you know traditional paper and an outlet and it's it's now gone but whether they actually care I don't. I don't know, Charlie. What do you think? I mean, I think if they, it's like a medal for them. You know, like if you think of video games, like yeah, we got the New York Times. Next, now it's on to something else. I don't, I don't know. I think they stand to, to gain incredibly from the like the loss of the New. Like uh, the idea is the warping of reality, creating a, a second reality. You know, a second media narrative. I think it's in order to continue to gain the influence and the power. Like, it seems I, like I they really respond to being validated by the New York Times. Or I read a big profile of Cernovich in the New Yorker right before the election. Yeah, um, they love that. And I'm that. sure that if any of these guys, you know, CNN, do you guys offer these folks uh, platforms no. on CNN? No. Are you, do you actively not invite? No, we, we're not going to have Mike Cernovich on air. I mean, 
Why not? You had Jeffrey Lord on here. You know, I, I, you would have to ask someone over there, but I, I don't think we're going to give Mike Cernovich a platform. You know, that would we cover him, but I don't think you're going to see him on a panel. You know, offering up his analysis on on the day's events. Yeah, I guess that's a separate discussion about right. why you don't do it. But but do you think that if you did, he would leap at the chance to come on and see? Yeah, him? of course he would. Yeah, uh, but just to kind of. Reset here, maybe a little bit. I think we're focusing a lot on maybe the characters like Mike Cernovich uh-huh. and those guys, but there's also the whole other, you know, more mainstream pro Trump media, the Breitbart's and the Matt Drudges, who are, you know, vastly influential and, and big players in in this. Um, and I'm I'm not sure that they often align. They they have similar interests, but they often too seem to be kind of different in, in some sort of so explain how they're different different ways. I, I think Mike Cernovich is. Mostly interested, like Mike Cernovich, for instance, he doesn't really, like Charlie was saying, care about policy. He he like supports, or at least like con- traditional conservative policy. He supports like universal basic income. That's something that most conservatives or people on the right would say. That's you know we don't support that. Um, so he's more interested in narratives and stuff. I think when you look at the more conventional pro-Trump media, they actually might care about policy a little more. Like Steve Bannon, I think really is convinced that if he can push his policy through Congress and into the president's desk. Steve Bannon has an ideology. Yes, he has and an that ideology, ideology that he wants to. in Breitbart. Exactly. And I think that when you look at Breitbart, they're a little more interested in pushing that ideology and getting policy actually maybe, maybe done. And same with Drudge. Drudge really wants Obamacare repealed. He really wants tax reform done. And so when we're looking at the pro-Trump media, I think we have to keep that in mind that while they are on the same side – Maybe different things motivate them. And do you draw ideological distinctions between these guys and traditional conservative media, between Fox News ideology, between a Rush Limbaugh ideology, between what used to be Glenn Beck's ideology? It's so difficult to put them all in one camp. I think the camp I just put it in maybe is the best, the the, the internet sort of personalities and the, the fever swamp on Reddit and, and 4chan and then maybe just put everyone else in the other category. Because when you get into individual – like Rush Limbaugh is – what motivates him is probably a lot different than what motivates Glenn Beck, who's actually anti-Trump, and what motivates Sean Hannity. And they're all like – they have their own media like ecosystem of their own. So I, I wouldn't want to put them all in the same category. I would say that maybe they're – if we had to just generalize and paint with a broad brush, they're all more interested in the ideology part of it than the trolling part and the other parts interested in trolling. So I think that's best. Maybe it. Charlie, what do you think? I think, I think that that – that's true. I mean, there is just a, like a legit like you might so you're, you're you describing might... a world where, where the the Twitter guys like the circus, right? Or pick whatever metaphor sure. you want, and they like seeing seeing things go boom. Yeah, and if they can press the plunger on the TNT box, even better. Whereas the Bannons and Breitbart's of the world want to actually get something done. I think that that's true, and I think I think actually like a, a really interesting example of like the dueling nature of this stuff is a little bit happens in Breitbart like I feel mm-hmm. and and Oliver your reporting has, has has sort of been definitive on on this I think to some degree there are like kind of warring factions between the you know pressing the button and blowing up you know the system and also like being like governing effectively and you know like showing that Trumpism can succeed in Washington and so I think I think even even in institutions like like Breitbart, you have you have that sort of duality. But um, I, I would say 
the publications obviously are more interested in in, in ideology than than the like the the fever swamp. So for a long time, the the internet was sort of the JV team of media. Whether you were talking about you know there'd be a magazine and there'd be a magazine's website, or there'd be someone who was famous on MySpace or YouTube but didn't have a record contract, and and a lot of folks folks sort of thought about sort of the the track where people would sort of move up into traditional media. You get a record deal, you get to the print version of the magazine. Do the internet folks that you're covering aspire to more mainstream outlets and, and, and platforms, or do they want to stay where they are on Twitter, on the internet? I think, I mean, I think, of course, they want the largest platform they can, they can get their hands on. I think, though, that they've realized, like Mike Cernovich knows that he's not going to be hosting a show on Fox News. Right, he's he can't even be he won't even be allowed. I think as a guest on Fox News. Um, so well, again, is there, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm trying to understand what 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 prevents him from being on Fox News or CNN. He's he's not disfigured, right? <laughs> no, I mean, and and he he does do a lot of periscopes, and he's a he's does he's pretty good at that uh, being on camera. I think that there, like we were talking earlier, there's a conscious like you know editorial decision to not amplify things and give these guys unchecked, like covering them, giving them unchecked power or like a platform where they can just say something and, and mislead an audience. And uh, I think like we are also saying we're covering them and how, you know, a tweet from Cernovich might end up on the president's desk. Right. Or, right. So, or so we'll take CNN because I don't want you to sure. – uh, you're not in a position where you can explain why, you're, why your employer will or won't put him on the air. Um, but why do you think he wouldn't be on Fox at some point if he if – Got eyeballs. He was on Fox once. Um, he was on Red Eye, I believe. And then there was controversy because Mike Cernovich has said some very controversial things in the past and, and still in the present. And so, you know, Fox, I think, came out with a statement, if I remember correctly, and said that, you know, he won't be invited back on. And, and, and it's, I guess here we point out, right, that Fox itself is going through a change, right? It's, it's sort of in turmoil, both because of HR issues. Um, and also because James Murdoch is one of the people who's running 21st Century Fox, recording this on Friday last night. Murdoch made noise by saying that he's definitively anti-Nazi, yeah. which, in, which in August 2017 is a position you need to take. So it's, it's, it's a little unsure about sort of where it wants to go. They will all tell you we don't want to be, you know, like we don't want to be on, on the traditional stuff. And this is sort of more of the internet personalities. They will say that. But also – you, I mean, Mike Cernovich will tell you definitively that he is, like, pivoted away from trolling. You know, like, uh, he's he's a little less of a of a fire starter than he used to be. But he does have this like dogged past. Of right, that saying, was twenty sixteen. Saying, yeah, exactly, and they and they really do think that they can get like a, a reset all the time. I don't know. I, I see some of these some of these individuals maybe positioning themselves to. to to at some point have their past a little more forgotten and, and to get into that world a little. But I think, you know, they they constantly kind of shoot themselves. In, if that's their goal, they constantly shoot themselves in the foot. They right. Their reflex is sort of like like the president's to sort of go after a conspiracy theory. Like they, if there's some good conspiracy bait, like they're going to take it. And that obviously doesn't bode so well for getting your invite on Fox and Friends. First thought, best thought, you put it out on the internet and then deal with it later. Oh yeah, it's definitely yeah. a shoot. First. I think they can't help it either. It's like they just see it and they it's just it's, it's, they they might know that it's going to you know be bad for maybe future aspirations, but when it's right there, they just cannot help themselves. I'm trying to figure out a good segue to the fact that we've got another spot from an advertiser. 
but we want to hear from other fine advertisers. So hang on. We'll be right back with Oliver and Charlie. Today's show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever need to send money internationally? Maybe you're an engineer, moved to the U.S. Maybe you're a business owner trying to pay suppliers in another country. You're a freelancer getting paid by someone in a foreign country. You should use TransferWise. When it comes to sending money, banks are stuck in the past. TransferWise is the future. Go to the future. It's better there. You pay into a local account, and TransferWise pays your recipient from an account in their country. Currencies don't need to cross borders. And that should matter to you because it lets TransferWise do things your bank can't. They charge one low fee. They give you a great low rate. And unlike your bank, TransferWise payments take seconds to set up. See how much you could save by going to TransferWise.com. You could download the app from Apple Store or Google Play. Once again, that's TransferWise.com. Transfer like I got to transfer money from one country to another country. And wise like I'm a wise person who listens to Recode Media. It's TransferWise, W-I-S-E dot com. And here's my friend and boss, Kara Swisher, with a word from Amazon Web Services. Today's show is brought to you by Amazon Web Services. Developers love Docker containers because they give applications portability and consistency all the way from your laptop into production. Amazon EC2 container service from Amazon Web Services makes it easy to run Docker apps in the cloud. Deploying, operating, and scaling your infrastructure happens automatically with Amazon EC2 container service. Best of all, you only pay for the AWS compute and storage resources you use. With Amazon EC2 container service, you can focus on building apps, not managing your container infrastructure. Learn more at ecs.aws. Thanks, Kara. Back here with Charlie Warzel, Oliver Darcy, BuzzFeed, CNN. I want to talk, you guys cover the, I keep keep wanting to say alt-right, but these guys don't even like the word alt-right, or some of them don't like the word alt-right anymore. Yeah, it's uh, I might even get into that distinction. It seems like weird identity politics for conservatives. It it could take a a while, though. I want to talk to you about how you do your job. Again, you work at CNN and BuzzFeed. Um, These are two websites reviled, or sorry, two platforms reviled by many people you're writing about. Um, CNN in particular, you guys have been in, in the, the taking some heat, the crosshairs for a long time. Um, I thought at the beginning of this administration that BuzzFeed would get a lot more grief after you guys published the dossier, wrote a whole story about it, see if it's gone away. When you go talk to people at Breitbart, to the Mike Cernoviches of the world, how do you think about how you are interacting with them and how do they respond when you reach out to them? seems like you're getting plenty of access. Yeah, I, I, I think, well, one, I, I – Worked in, at the Blaze, and which is a, you know, traditionally conservative news website, and it's changed a little since I left. But I think that I knew a lot of people ahead of time before I, I started even covering this sort of thing, and so that helped build a layer of trust, uh, which is which has been very helpful. But also, these guys, they want, they, as Charlie was saying, as as they as much as they say they despise, you know, traditional media, they really do like being covered by traditional media. Even if it's not in glowing terms, even if we say Mike Cernovich is a conspiracy theorist and you know and a far right guy on the fringe, he still wants to be covered, and so it's tricky. I, I, I don't want to say it's not difficult, but it might be a little less. You know, it's not like if I reach out to someone, they immediately hang up the phone and start you know yelling at me. They they usually do pick up and they usually do answer. I I sort of use the. The polarization of like a space like Twitter <laughs> to the advantage. Like my whole sort of mode of of working with these people is like you're going to get a fair shake, and I'm not going to call you a Nazi if you're not a Nazi. You know, like I really think labeling with these with this group is like 
so incredibly important to them. So, you know, you can say so-and-so peddles conspiracies, show that they have, and they'll be okay with that. Like, they've done that. They understand that. They sort of know what they are and what they're doing. But because, like, you know... People are throwing before. This is sort of before Charlottesville, but people there was a like a reflexive sort of like thing on the far left on Twitter to just call everyone you who you disagreed with, yeah, a fascist or of some kind, and they feel cornered by that for whatever reason. So if and you just so, called them a person instead of a fascist or a reporter or a commentator, they respond to that. Yeah, and I, I think they just if they you know, it's like any reporting. You give somebody a tough but fair shake. And they'll, you know, nod their head and say, okay, you know. Like. So this is actually one of the notes I've taken. I was looking at one of your stories you did, Charlie, recently, um, where Chuck Johnson figured prominently in it. But you refer to him, and you were both writing about him and interviewing him in the story, clearly got information from him, and you describe him as a former freelance journalist. And when I, when I read that, I sort of came up short. I'm like, oh, I guess technically – he wrote things and considered himself a journalist and was a freelancer. Um, but everyone refers to him as a troll. You Earlier in this discussion, you referred to him as a troll. So it seems like you're consciously saying, I'm going to make sure that when I write about him, I'm going to label him in a way that, that he can't be he can't take offense at. And that allows me to keep doing my job. To some degree. I mean, I I actually don't know which which story. I, I think you're – like I've referred to him in a number of them. And I, I often – every time I'm writing a story, I go back to the last way that I wrote. Oh, you know what it was? It was, about, it was about the Google guy. God, that's last week's controversy. That's insane. Yeah. The Google engineer and how he became a cause celeb for right. the alt-right yeah. conservative pro-Trump media and, and Chuck Johnson's role in that. That's, and that these, was the story. And these descriptions are often – I mean, you know, they go through edits and things like that. But they're often like absolutely tortured. You know, a freelance former journalist turned troll, turned, you know, uh, behind-the-scenes influencer. And it's like, yeah, I think that my goal is to give these people a, a fair shake in the sense – like a tough but fair sort of – I mean, it, it's – I will never like – paint them in the in the view that they want to be seen as but i think that you know there's a lot you could, that you can use to your advantage not bringing your own sort of like ideology and view of, of who they are or like playing into playing into sort of the the controversy that they create i just you know i say what their their job title is so mike mike cernovich is a great example of this nobody wants to call him a reporter and I agree that, you know, he is – he journalistically has a lot of um, – he's put a lot of misinformation and conspiracies out there. He's – he, like he also scooped Reince Priebus's firing. You know, he's uh, – Right. There was a whole debate about does this count as a scoop because maybe he's not a journalist and maybe he's just a mouthpiece for whomever. Sure. But he has also – like he's clearly shown that he can cultivate sources yep. in the highest levels of the government and puts things out there. So to some degree – he fits the bill of reporter. So reporter and sometimes conspiracy theorist. That's weird, but it's also the truth. I don't know. I'll quick, quickly say something too um, when we're talking about giving these guys a tough but fair shake. Um, it's not to say that they don't like get really mad sometimes. Um, and I just had an experience this week. Speaking of Charles Johnson, I was doing a story about how he misidentified the Charlottesville driver and tried saying it was some sort of far left person. And I asked him for comment he wrote me an email, giving me comment, filed my story with his comment in it, and then he tried to retroactively declare it off the record and told him, I can't do that. You know, like you said the thing. Um, if you have anything else you'd like to add, I can uh -huh. include it. And he sent me a very threatening email saying that if I don't take it out back, 
then it's going to end my career at CNN because he's going to do whatever it takes to get me fired. Uh He's warned me not to make him an enemy and a number of other things. You don't seem nervous. Well, you know, we publish a story and then we publish his threats. And, you know, he sent me an email afterwards saying you made your choice. Well, you know, we're not – when we cover these guys, we're going to give you a fair shake or we're going to give them a fair shake. But that's not to say that they're not – they're not going to be held to, to high standards or, or the standards we'd hold anyone else to. I mean, this is not like we're going to cover. And if, and, you know, if he doesn't want, I mean, I, it's not like I was getting creative information from him, but you know, if I ever go back to him or needed to go back to him, I guess maybe he's not going to talk anymore, but that's, so be it. You know, like if you aren't happy with getting a fair shake, then there's not much I can do for you, but I'm not also going to, you know, just, you know, I think that there is a tendency in some places just to just dismiss these guys and, and call them a bunch of names. And I think I'm more interested in in showing people um, what they're doing than than you know calling them names. Oliver, let me circle back to where, where one of the things we started with was, which is Matt Drudge. You said he's the most influential person in the sphere, and he's he's decidedly not of this era, right? It's Twenty plus years of, of doing this. It's, he's a link aggregator. You know, he was ascended at the same time that AOL and Yahoo were really important on the internet. Why is he still as influential as he is? In in many ways, he innovated the space, the internet. Uh, he he actually, in his famous speech before the National Press Club, said that he envisioned one day when there would be not uh, when anyone with a cell phone, basically, or, or or with the internet, could be a reporter. And in some cases, like if you look at what's happened today, you see that with. The rise of some of these internet personalities. So I think a he innovated the space. B, his website has been just a constant, um, and it's 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 positioned well between the conventional media because Fox News, Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh they check this website frequently. But also it's, it's powerful because it's powerful. It's sort right. of circular. Right. It's also on in the internet. So he, he's kind of positioned in the center of things. I think that that's a very unique position. He gets a ton of traffic, like an enormous amount of traffic. Um, and also, he's checked by influencers. So I think when I think of the whole universe, I always think of him as, as the center and like the like the sun maybe. And they're like, but these... usually people don't have that kind of long run, especially on the internet, right. which sort of chews through these people. There aren't a lot of other twenty-year-old internet personalities, people who've been internet personalities for twenty years that we're paying attention to. The way I look at the Drudge Report, so is slightly slightly different, but also like. <laughs> I, it's also incredibly influential. I see the sort of pro-Trump internet, let's say, not the Stout, not Hannity and whatever, but the sort of the pro-Trump internet as only having certain sort of like gateways to get through to the mainstream. Twitter is a is a good one. I mean, look at like Breitbart, former Breitbart troll and staffer Milo Yiannopoulos was banned from Twitter. Chuck Johnson was banned from Twitter. They're like they have a hard time getting through to the mainstream. And, it, so that ban has been meaningful for both very of meaningful because Twitter is one of those portals. Drudge is another one of those portals. Like you get on Drudge, and you know, and that's the way to hop into wherever. Like you are going to be on Fox if you're if you're the splash on Drudge. You are going to attract all these mainstream journalists, people who don't dive in as Oliver and I do into sort of like the the weirder areas. So it's it's insanely important as in terms of how that you know how that narrative jumps. It's it's probably the only other than Twitter truly like guaranteed. Right, and before Twitter, it was like the only really way to make it your leap into the mainstream. Right, it's still amazing. I mean, the the, the Monica Lewinsky broke through with that that story. So, nineteen ninety eight, 
99. And you have to give credit to him for seeing, I think he was one of the few people back then to see what the internet could be and how powerful it could be. And he hasn't changed his website. He's It's the exact same format. He actually went, the only thing that's changed recently is he made all his photos black and white and, and kind of like dialed it back another era. So I don't know. I'm, I'm immensely fascinated by the Drudge Report. But the it's actually, the Lewinsky thing is really interesting to me because, you know, I believe, I could be wrong, but like, Mike Isakoff, uh, yep. Newsweek from yeah, at the Newsweek time. at the time, had the story, and there was whatever sort of behind editor machinations, whatever, and, and Drudge, Drudge broke it. it yeah. Right. So that kind so of Newsweek may or may not write this story. Here's what it's about. Yeah, that ethos, that sort of shoot first, publish first, you know, stir the pot, deal with the consequences later. That's where we are now. That's very much. But where everyone's we, doing that's it. very much where we and yeah, scooping every, the mainstream media. Everyone, yeah, everyone's doing it. But, you know, like, there was something about it that had, there was, like, no conscience with, you know, with, it was just like, I'm an internet website, whatever. And that, that's sort of where we are with the pro-Trump media now. Speaking like, of Matt Drudge, he just tweeted, Bannon had one hell of a run. Don't know go. what that means, but. Okay, so we're recording this on a Friday. Presumably when this episode drops in six days, we'll, we'll know. Presumably. Um, how do you guys, last, very last question, quick question. I can see, I can see Oliver's not. Unplugging. How do you guys unplug? Or do you unplug? Are you on 24-7? Are you checking the phone before you go to bed when you wake up? I mean, you know, not here to com- complain about the work, but you don't. it's really, really hard right now. And it feels to like, it's all about context, right? It's all about knowing what happened before it. Um, like every outrage builds on itself and the pressure just keeps mounting and then things pop off and explode. And, and if you don't you get have, weekends off because that's when Charlottesville happens. Sure. And also just like, I mean, part of the thing is these, especially these pro-Trump internet personalities realize that like weekends are, are a great time. There's tons of people who are all sort of like looking at their phones and get bigger audiences that, you know, they can control the news cycle on the weekends a lot more, but it's more important. I think that, you have to be involved in understanding and watching every controversy play out and seeing how that builds on the next one. And all that context is so important. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's, so it's really hard. But ask anyone don't. who covers the White House. It's the same thing, you know? Yeah, like, that's insane right now. You Oliver, do you, have a, do you have an outlet? Or do you have, a, do you have an off switch? No, I'm trying to think. I was asking last... how you turn off and then I, you're tweeting. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of the last, like, I, I was thinking actually when I got in here, I'm going to be off the internet for two hours, so hopefully nothing happens, which is, you know, I'm sure something has happened. I, I don't know. It's 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 very difficult, if not impossible, if you want to effectively cover media in 2016 or 2017. I don't know, man. I, I took Twitter <laughs> off my phone for, for a month. Went okay. <laughs> it's still off now, but now I'm just checking it on the mobile web. So it's like it's yeah. Like so now your experience is worse. Yeah, it's terrible. I'm gonna let you guys get back to your Twitter and your internet. Thanks for your time. I've been wanting to do this for a while. I'd like to keep talking for another hour if we could, but we'll have you back in, in a while. and We'll th- see how things have changed or not changed. Thanks to you guys for listening. Again, we bring this to you for free. We don't ask anything of you, except that maybe tell a friend about it. You can use whatever platform you like. Facebook, Twitter, you know how to use a platform. You could even walk up to someone on the street and say, hey, you should check out Recode Media. That's all we ask. If you like this one, we have more fine podcasts for you over at Recode Podcast Central. Kara Swisher has Recode Decode. Kara and Lauren Good from The Verge also host Too Embarrassed to Ask. They're both awesome, and you probably know that already. Thank you to our sponsors, Mac Weldon, TransferWise, Away Travel, and Amazon Web Services. Thanks to Digital Media, who sells those ads. 
Thanks to my producers, Beth O'Connell and Eric Johnson, and my editor, Chris Basil. This is Recode Media. I will see you next week.